0: book of Galatians, one of my favorite New Testament books, and some might not look at it that way. Uh, Stan does, though. Stan took it to memory and uh, quoted it some time ago, and if you were not here for that, I was gone, of course, that's why he was up, but uh, just uh, tremendous to see that things that are in this particular book. Uh, it's a book about uh, uh, looking at the law versus grace. It's about an individual that looks at the Old Testament law and says, well, if I do good works and I try to keep the, keep the Ten Commandments, sure enough, God is going to accept me. And those of us who have attempted to try to keep the commandments and failed realizes that's not going to work because we can't do all the law and everything that's found in it. And so we find out that we're weak and we can't do it. So the book of Galatians describes to you and I that if we by faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will justify us. He will make us right in his own sight. And so that's why he describes it, last part of chapter 2, he says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So there's the key is, it's not what I'm doing, but that the fact of Christ being inside of me gives me life, and the life I which now live, so in other words, my everyday life now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he goes on and gives us a really powerful concept of what we're talking about. I do not frustrate the grace of God. In other words, I'm not going to try to make this whole thing, you know, I, I can't figure it out. Because you can't mingle law and grace together. So he says, I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God because if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What he's showing you is if we could keep the commandments enough to get eternal life and go to heaven, then what Jesus Christ did on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago was a waste. But Christ's death on the cross was not a waste. And that's what he's going on to say. Because... As God views it, it is solely through the cross that we have righteousness, not by the works of the law, because he says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in my sight. That's in God's sight. This is how God views this whole thing. So if you're here and you say, man, I've always been taught at other churches that if I'm just a good person, you know, I don't lie and I don't cheat and I don't do these things, uh, that that I'm going to get in. How are you doing with that? Are you, are you keeping everything? And I doubt it. And so that's why Christ died on the cross for that very sin. And even chapter 3, he gets into those who, who decided, well, guess what? I know, I know I'm saved by grace and through Jesus Christ, but, but you've got to do something to keep it. In other words, if you don't live a certain standard, then, then you know, you're going to lose it. And he, of course, throws that out the window too, that philosophy in chapter 3. He calls them fools. He actually says, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's deceived you? And then he goes on and says, having begun as a spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You think by what you do in the flesh is keeping you good in God's sight? He's like, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. We're dealing with salvation now. Okay? So we can't do enough to show God, okay, I'm really glad you saved me, and I'm going to do enough to keep keep in the family. It doesn't work that way. When you're in, you're in. When you're one of God's children you're in, you're Christ, you're in his possession. And so, does that mean we don't work, we don't serve? Oh no, that's what this whole year is about. Developing Christians for Christ. We want to serve the Lord. And we want us to be more like Jesus Christ each day of our lives. So, part of that walk or that developing our lives for, as Christians has to do with walking in the Spirit, Now last week we looked at walking by faith, not by sight. And we as Christians, as we view our lives, we don't know what tomorrow holds, we don't know what's going to go on, so we walk by faith. Our faith is not for the here and now, the faith is what is in the future in heaven, the brand new body, all those things that we look forward to one day keeps us focused on eternal things, not the things that are temporary here and now. Now this verse is dealing with the here and now, okay? Today's message is not about heaven. I love talking about heaven, could do it every week. But today's message is not about heaven, it's it's about now. Right now, it is imperative that we walk in the Spirit. And the thought is, not once in a while, but a continual act of walking in the Spirit. Some have described to walk, meaning to be occupied, to conduct your life in this way, means walking in the Spirit. Um, Those of you who have been in the military understand that they tell you when you get up, when you eat, when you do this, you do that. Everything is told to you when you do it. And you don't get to say, you know what, I need a shower now, Sarge, just let me go. He'd let you go, all right. <laughs> get out and give me 150, you know. You, you just don't get to tell them what's going on. And we are in a walk with the Lord, and what we're to do is conduct our lives, be occupied with what our Master wants us to do. Boy, this is, this is really going to balance us, hopefully, today. You know, in our lives, we, we have families, and we have, we have jobs, we have our lives surrounding us. And now the preacher is saying, in everything you do constantly, 24-7, we are to occupy our minds with Jesus Christ by walking in the Spirit. And it's just like, how do I walk in the Spirit when i got this boss that's screaming profanity at me? And these people that are doing all these wild things against me, knowing I'm a Christian or I'm trying to do the right thing and work hard. And it's like everybody's against me. And, you know, even sometimes in your family, you know, not everybody is a Christian maybe. And all of a sudden you're trying to live for the Lord and they're trying to get you drunk. And it's just like, Lord, how do I constantly be occupied with your, your business, with your mind in my life? And that's where we're getting to. Developing your mind to be thinking about Christ in everything. By the way, we'll fail. I hate to tell you that ahead of time, but we will fail. You will fail. But there's a goal, and that is to walk in the Spirit. In verse 18, he tells us, if he be led of the Spirit... And it's as though God places into the heart a leading that comes from the Spirit of God to fulfill God's desires for you. So if you are going in the direction that the Spirit of God wants you to go, if you are being led by Him, and that desire is in there to do it, then you are not going to be under those things of the law. You are, be, you are now liberated. You are freed. And some have even translated this, the, the freedom of the Spirit. It's a liberating thing what we're talking about today. We we get to serve Jesus today. We get to be serving with the Lord today, together. We're laborers together with Him. Walking in the Spirit. Now, here's, here's here's the problem, okay? This is where the foundation comes into it all. I'm not going to embarrass anybody today by getting them up and standing with me. Oh, yes, I will. Could you help me today? Could, could you help me just for a second? I really need an illustration. I need an illustration, and Bob's going to help, too. Yeah, he didn't know it either. So if you if you could, we'll put Bob in the middle, okay? You're welcome. So Bob here, he represents all of us, okay? He's, he's the guy, then the... Right here, he's the guy that is saved, okay? And now here's the thing, amen. So this wonderful Christian represents you and I. Now over here, Valerie has to represent the spirit, okay? (laughs) And over here, Dave represents what we like to call the flesh, (laughs) There are other terms that go along with it, carnality, enmity with God. I mean, all of these things, okay? Now, what happens is this. The the moment Bob here heard about the gospel, now, guess who I get to be? I get to be the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now, what happens is the Holy Spirit has been working inside of, of Bob here. Now, when you see Bob here, you're thinking, okay, we see the the physical, but we're not talking about that part of Bob. We're talking about this part of Bob, the mind. And so the mind here has been listening to the Bible. The mind here at one point had heard about Jesus dying on the cross for his sin, and he stopped and said, wow, I didn't even realize that. Now, the flesh over here is saying, whatever, whatever. And the spirit over here inside of Bob is saying, wow, this is powerful. But the flesh over here says, uh-uh, I don't like that news at all. Get away from me. And the spirit is working inside in Bob's mind, and it's, a, it's an old, old English word. It's called reckon. Okay, I reckon so. Remember old Yeller? I reckon so, Paul. You know, and it's, a, it's an old English word that we really don't use a whole lot, but it's actually a really powerful word. What it means is, as you are analyzing this whole thing, you are choosing what is truth. It makes it right, in other words, to reckon your checking accounts making it, if you will, right. And he is reckoning truth in his mind, coming to an absolute conclusion with this whole thing. And so the mind is working alongside of the spirit. Now please understand, I believe, and there are some theologians who would disagree with me, but some don't believe that a human without the Lord even has a spirit. I disagree with that. I just think it's lost. I think it's unregenerated because when now follow me theologians when the mind chooses christ the mind doesn't altogether right away become sanctified does it but there's still something inside of us that becomes absolutely perfect in christ there's only one part left and it ain't him (laughs) it would be val it's it's the spirit of man so that's why we believe in a mind body spirit Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're made in God's image. Okay? Now, so finally Bob says yes to Christ. So he invites Jesus in, and alongside of the Lord, and it's really powerful, we're going to see it in Romans 6 if we have time, is that it says about the Spirit which is in you, and then it's almost like synonymously he says, and by the way, Christ in you. Because if you have Christ in you, you have then the Spirit of God inside of you. Romans actually chapter 8 also. So now the Spirit of God, that's me, has entered inside of Bob. And the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, God took you and you became the temple of God. He tells you, what, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, which you have God, of, of God, and you are not your own, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are his. So now, God is living inside the Christian. Now comes the problem. You say, what's the problem? We have God inside of us. Yeah, and the, the spirit of God in, in, in his body, is working now and has made alive the spirit of man. Now let me prove this to you. With the interior part of you, he tells us, I will pray with the spirit, I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. What God's trying to teach you and I is this. The real you and I between mind and spirit is what we ultimately worship God with and we pray with. Your flesh is worthless. <laughs> worthless. It's dying. It's corrupting. It's the old man, if you will. It's, it's not getting like better. So Romans tells us what the mind here is it has to do, you know what it has to do? With this old man that's over here, (laughs) he he has to crucify him. He has to die to the old man. Because if the old man here, the old nature, that carnal nature, is alive, then he's gonna be working towards Bob's mind. And so Bob now is in a battle. You, as a Christian, you're in a battle. There's a really intense battle that's going on inside of you, inside of your mind. Now over here, the Spirit of God begins to work inside of the Spirit, your spirit. And what He is constantly confirming to your heart, your spirit, is do right. Walk, therefore, in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the wrong desires of the flesh. Because the flesh is over here saying, I don't want to get up for church. What are you talking about Pray. What are you talking about reading my Bible? I don't want to do that. The flesh is lazy, worthless, trying to tear you down. The spirit on the other side, he is inside of you always, always encouraging you to do what's right. And that's why you're battling it, Christian. One of the greatest ways to know that you are a Christian in the first place is you are in a battle. If you do not battle the flesh at all, something's wrong with you. I have not met a Christian that does not battle with the old nature, the sinful nature, that guy over there, and you will battle. There's a list, and we're going to take our time. This is part one to part two. Or three. Depends on how long it takes. But, but what we're learning later on is that the old man has a whole list of category in this same chapter which are called the works of the flesh. Versus the, who knows the answer? Fruit, Fruit of the spirit. The spirit is trying to work his, his what he is inside of the spirit affecting the mind which affects what he does. The flesh over here says, I've got an itch, I'm gonna scratch it. If it feels good to me, I'm gonna do it. And the mind is like, boy, it does feel good. Isn't it amazing? You know, January, the resolutions, you decide, okay, the doctor says lose 20 pounds, and you gotta do all these changes, get salt out of my diet, and all these things. You start analyzing and say, but I like salt. I like salt on my eggs. For the Pennsylvanians, the dippy eggs. Yeah, that's, that's a neat word. We I asked for dippy eggs when I moved here. To, yeah, I, the, 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 She said, what are you talking about? What is a dippy egg? You call them sunny side up around here, you know, or over easy, you know. So, you know, I like salt. And you start saying, Carl, zero salt. You're not allowed to add salt. I'd be going, I like salt on my eggs. I don't like, I'm a salt holic, but at certain things I want salt. And as soon as you say you can't have salt, I'm going to taste that egg without, a, without salt on it, and it's going to be bland. I'm, not going to, I'm going to resist it. I'm going to fight it. You know the same thing with that chocolate cake with peanut butter icing on it? that has been sitting on the counter for three days. As soon as you say the word diet, it never looked so good. <laughs> you know, you go by, and you just, okay, I'm just going to get a little icing. Just take the corner there, and that's okay, that's enough. Man, within a half hour, that baby's gone, devoured. It's been sitting there for two days. But now that you're on a diet, that's the battle. Because God is coming in saying, there is something that's best for you. And the old man says, but it doesn't feel good. And so here's your battle. You know, teenagers application you know mom and dad the word of god is coming in and saying certain things to live by that are that are better for you to live by that your teen friends over here possibly are saying but you don't know what you're missing you don't know the experiences that i had hence it's called temptation temptation This guy wants to tempt you to do wrong, to go against the things that the the Spirit is working inside of your spirit to do that's right. And it could be anything. But in the text, he deals with immoralities. He deals with things that contaminate and hurt and taint the mind that the Spirit of God is saying, but I want you to be pure and holy. That's what's best for you. But the flesh over here says, yeah, but holiness doesn't feel good all the time. But in the long run, holiness never has regrets. No regrets. Young people, there's going to be all kinds of physical temptations that are going to be coming your way. You now have the Spirit of God, and with the Spirit of God comes power. There's a strength that is inside of you. You can still do all things through Christ, because he strengthens you. There's abilities that God has for you to do the right thing. So he's working through his spirit into your spirit to convince the mind that you need to do the right thing. And by the way, he doesn't take concepts out of the air to place into the mind. Where does the mind get the concepts that come from the spirit who's working inside of you? Does he reach it out of the air, get it out of, you know, you go look at a tree, and boy, I'm going to do right. Go look at nature, and boy, I want to do right by that. Uh Uh-uh. doesn't come by nature. It comes by the word. So as you are inside of the word, reading the word, the spirit of God who translates the word, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, into your mind and makes it sense begins to use the Word to affect your spirit, that the Spirit of God is working, so that the mind chooses the Spirit. And the more you are in the Word, the more you will choose right. The more your mind is seeing the sense, because, listen, you've been listening to God, which oftentimes your mom and dad are quoting. You know? Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. We do know that verse, but there's more. (laughs) Not because I said so. No, it's because it's what's best for you. Young ladies and young men, keeping your bodies pure until you get married. All those great concepts. Don't do drugs. Don't do these things. Don't tear your lives down. Do your homework. It really helps. You know, do the right things that you know. And the flesh is over here. I'll get by. I'll fudge it. They'll never know. But you know what's right. And the Spirit is saying, do what's right. And even as Christians, we have, listen, the moment temptation comes in, you know the Spirit of God is in there going, knocking. And immediately you know the right thing to do. But what we want to choose sometimes is not the best. Because that's the battle we're we're involved with. You may be seated. I don't want you to stand like I have to the whole message you got you got the point thank you so much for helping me your reward will be in heaven someday yeah so we got a battle going on the mind is in the center And that mind that's in the center is constantly being influenced by surroundings folks we we can't go anywhere without something being thrown in our face. Now, here's the next concept I want you to see, though. We have to understand when he says, walk in the flesh, excuse me, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the mind, if we walk in the spirit, being controlled by him, we then will not have that desire and go towards fulfilling the wrong desires of the flesh. So now we have to understand about this desire thing It's like where do these desires come from? Okay, let's look at some verses Look with me the book of James and chapter number one Now what you have to understand is there's Remember the 60's some of us with gray hair You know the old thing was the devil made me do it Remember that one? The devil made me do it Guess what? We're not talking about the devil today We're talking about you Now, does does Satan influence us? Absolutely. Does he want us to fall, go against God? Look at Job 1 through 3. It's absolutely there. Absolutely Satan is part, the demonic world that is trying to place temptation for the Christian to fall, to to deny the Lord. That's absolutely there. But we're dealing with something that you have to understand about you today. Chapter 1 of James. (coughs) Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Number one, when you go through in the mind that I, this feels good over here, and I want to do this, the old man says, and the spirit says over here, no, do the right thing. It is never God that is placing you into it. You say, who's doing it to me then? I'll explain it. Because God cannot be... Tempted of evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, not some men, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust or wrong desire and enticed. So what he's saying is there's something inside of you that has allurement of doing what's wrong. Every one of you have it. Every Christian has that old nature. The old nature man the old simple nature that is trying to tear you down so we have to make sure we understand if we're going to become more Christ like and that's our aim that is our goal to be like the Lord Jesus Christ that what we have to do is realize that I'm in a battle if I acknowledge no battle the enemy will win quickly so I have to realize I have a battle that's going on and if I don't engage against the enemy, then I'm not going to win. I will lose. And that's what we see in many Christians, is no victory in a Christian life. Constant defeat, constant depression, constant negativity. And if you were to stop and say, why is this happening? They will say, it's my fault. And they know, you can't blame God, can't blame the preacher, can't blame your spouse, can't blame your children. we about you. We sometimes can live a failed Christian life, and it's because we did not understand the enemy within. And this enemy within desires to live for him or herself. One person put it this way, with not only James, but also in the book of Galatians, that, that the word lust as we have it in the King James is, has this, the thought of selfishness. It's all about me. And when you stop and think, a Christians, and listen, I'm, I'm trying to help us here today, trying to help us to be better, is that because we have this enemy that is within, and we acknowledge this, that we have to start battling, and as we learned, die to that old man So that we can achieve the goal of being more like Jesus Christ. And we cannot blame the devil. We can't blame anybody else. And it's because we are defeated Christians ourselves. Because we've never acknowledged the enemy that is within. That nobody else knows about. And we become selfish. Bank robber. Who's he thinking about? Does he have any problem killing a teller? Killing somebody that's there? Murderer. Who's he thinking about? So. You look at any of the Ten Commandments and the breach that's found inside of those, that which, which, which is not fulfilling the, the, the law, can be summed up in you put yourself in front of God. Selfishness. Why does adultery take place? I got an itch. I want it scratched. It's me. They don't care about kids. They don't care about anybody. And the list goes on. We have to realize that when we get our desires in the way of what God is trying to lead us in, we're heading for a catastrophe. Christians, I'm trying to help you when you reach that goal and that the books are written about your life, that there's no regrets. That you don't want to look back and say, I wish I could take that year or that time period or that, that event and take it out of my life. Because when you do it, you can't erase it. It can be forgiven, but it's going to be there to haunt you. And then it's there. Listen, there are many Christians in this room that could stand up and testify of the damages that they allowed themselves to go into that they would now have in their, in their closet the rest of their lives that cannot be forgotten. They're forgiven. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven, but there's Regrets. There's many affairs that have happened, many evil things that have done. People that have been hurt, families that have been hurt, children that have been hurt, abuses, rages of anger, fights that I have walked through with tears that people have gotten into, fighting each other, fist fighting because they didn't have self control. And they say, I wish I could bring that fist back. I wish I wouldn't have hit my wife. I wish I would not have punched my child. I wish I wouldn't have fought that person in rage because of we got in a fight over who was speeding in a car. And all of a sudden, they look at their life and say, why could I not have held that fist back? Guess what? I'm talking to you today. You can through the power of the Spirit that changes the mind and how you react. Because the fruit of the Spirit, what God is trying to produce in you, is love, and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, meekness, and the last word, self-control, temperance. So God is saying, if we walk in the Spirit... Those urges that we have in our mind that's wrestling with the flesh and saying, I'm going to get them back, I'm going to retaliate, I'll show them who's boss, and after you do, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. The Spirit is trying to let you look ahead at what's coming up, not what's the moment. The flesh deals with now. The mind thinks ahead to eternity. The things that are spiritual, and if we walk in them, then we will choose to put away what the flesh wants you to do, and we will choose to do the right thing. That's where the leading starts to come into our lives. Look at Romans with me. In chapter 6. Spend just a couple minutes here, because there's one illustration I want to show you. Romans chapter number 6. All kinds of things in this particular chapter. The Christian in the mind starts to look at grace and says, well, we might as well go ahead and do whatever we want to do because that's how we experience grace. That's verses 1 through 3. No, he tells us that we have a a resurrected life that we're supposed to go through and and we're supposed to to do that. Uh, We're to walk, as he says in the last phrase of verse number 4, even so we also should walk, there's your word again, in newness of life, or a resurrected life. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that's with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not, notice this, serve sin. And the thing is, if we're not serving Christ through the Spirit, then we are choosing to let the flesh be our boss, you have a boss. So the question is, who are we allowing to be our boss? For in Verse 10. For in that he, Christ died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. There's the resurrection. Now likewise reckon. There's our word for the day. Verse 11. Reckon, charge to be so, also that yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive, there's a resurrection unto God, and it is not done through the flesh. It is done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now here's the problem. We we know we want to do the right thing. You know why diets don't work? It's like asking the flesh to destroy the flesh. It feels good, why would I destroy that? Which feels good to me. Illustration in the life of Christ, and you'll see it at the Passion Play, when when that note comes to Jesus, well, you cast out Satan by Satan. You cast out the demons by Satan. And he's like, that's really dumb. If If I cast myself out by myself, then then I'm defeating myself. Why would that happen? And we can't assume that the old man will ever encourage us to do the right thing. It will always battle against, against righteousness. And therefore, what we have to do is reckon that it is not the old man, but it is Christ inside of me that enables me to do this for God. Folks, In the flesh, I cannot do what I'm doing right now. I cannot. In the flesh, we can't worship. The flesh is the the bad guy over here. And, And that is not what loves Jesus. It loves self. And yet the Spirit of God is over here trying to get us to fall in absolute adoration of who our God is, and love Him. And this battle that rages is real. So therefore, what we have to do, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, the body that we have that is dying, that you should obey it, and the wrong desires, there's the word lust again, thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of, right, uh, excuse me, of unrighteousness unto sin, but, I love this, yield yourselves unto God, as what those that are alive from the dead look at me Christians look at me you're alive you are resurrected There's something that's happened to you and so let's act like it let's let's live a resurrected life because we've already died and we have been given the Spirit of God and we have eternal life abiding in us So what we don't do is yield our body to our body, but instead we yield ourselves to God as those who are alive. Now follow me. How can we yield ourselves alive to God? There has to be something that first happens. For a resurrection, somebody has to die. Who died in the text? Self. Old man. You have to die to selfish ambitions so that you can live a resurrected life. And you say, but the drugs feel too good. All these habits feel too good for me to release them to serve the Lord. Totally understand you. Matter of fact, you don't want to choose that. I agree. You're pretty happy the way it is, aren't you? Yep. But guess what? In the long run, you're not going to be Christ-like. Temporary fix? Yep. Long run, bad. So what we do is we die to those ambitions and self, And then the Spirit of God is released inside of us to serve Him. Look with me to the book of Numbers. Chapter 11. (coughs) Pardon me. Still got the cough. So in chapter 11 of Numbers, here's the story of Israel in the wilderness. Israel in the wilderness is out of the will of God. They are supposed to be in Canaan land. That's what God wanted them to do. But instead, for 40 years, they're wandering aimlessly, which should have taken weeks, maybe months, to get in uh, with that many people. Uh, They're still walking around in circles. Sound like Christians. Sometimes we take 40 years of our lives, the mature years of our lives, and we just kind of walk aimlessly through life and... uh, The quality or characteristic of that time period is seen right here. Chapter 11, verse 4. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Oh, there's our word again. And the children of Israel also wept again or cried again and said, Who's going to give us flesh to eat? Now you say flesh, what is that talking about? They wanted some meat. But You say, well, what have they been doing? Well, it's going to tell you. Verse 5, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. Egypt pictures the? world over there the bad guy okay dave okay the cucumbers the melons the leeks, all of these onions and garlic oh man it's like you've gone to olive garden you know tastes hey, so good but now our soul it's dried up away no you're not you're living you're doing just fine oh we're famishing we can't oh we're just dying out of here no you're not because there's nothing at all besides just this manna Before our eyes, we are so tired of this manna, 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 manna. You say, what is manna? That's about what the name of it means. What is it? What's it? That's literally what it means. They don't know what it was. You say, what it looked like? I don't know, this little round kind of yellowish type of thing that came down from heaven, landed on the ground each morning, and they would go and pick it up, and they would go in, and they could make it and prepare it different ways to eat. Free food. Every day twice as much on Friday because they got to pick enough to get them through Saturday, too Because they weren't allowed to pick it on Saturday Pretty good deal and if they got too much they got greedy. Guess what happened? It spoiled Give us this day Our daily bread we walk by faith Not by sight so here. We got this man. By the way, Jesus said in John chapter number six I am the bread of life Pictured in the manna. Came down from heaven to give life. Jesus came down from heaven to give us eternal life. And we take of that bread, we will live eternally. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Pictured in the manna. And sure enough, they were saying, manna, the Lord, is not enough. The word of God is not enough. God's promises are, are not enough. I want something more. Now the Spirit says there's a sufficiency that's in Christ. But the flesh says it's not enough. Now listen, Christian, if you're never content, you're always looking for this new experience, you're in trouble. Because experiences are going to come and go. God's word is consistent. Christ is consistent. So they're, they're weeping and crying, verse 18. Same chapter. And and Moses talking to to excuse me, God's talking to Moses and saying unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow and you shall eat flesh for you have wept in the ears of the Lord saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it is, was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you flesh and you shall eat. Now here's what's really funny, I don't have time to, to go through this, but Moses kind of talks to God and kind of pulls him aside like, we don't have any food. God, where are you going to bring, how are you going to give them flesh? <laughs> I'm sure at that point, God's looking at Moses saying, haven't you been around here very long? <laughs> don't, don't you really think, I mean, remember the crossing of the Red Sea, and remember the water out of the rock, and remember, you know, the plagues, and yeah, I can do this. It's okay. I can give you, I can give you a dinner in the wilderness. Remember that phrase? So, He says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. So here's the prediction in verse number 20. But when even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils and it be loathsome unto you because that you have despised the Lord, which is among you, and have wept or cried before him, saying, why came we forth out of Egypt? It goes back to salvation. It goes back from the very beginning of the deliverance from the world and the captivity of the world, and now they're saying, we're, we're, we're sad that you saved us and delivered us in the first place. That's the old man saying you were better off before salvation. And no, you weren't. Uh, he was going to hell. Not a good place to go. You were in all kinds of problems because you had no wisdom from God. You were on your own. But now, God has something that is provided by him and we're to be content with. The temptation is, go back, the Spirit says, go forward. Okay? So, sure enough, he says, I'm going to give them. And so he prophesies. And then verse, verse number 31. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp. As it were, a day's journey, until this side, as it were, a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and it were, as if it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. That's a heap of them. Pennsylvania Dutch. And the people stood up all that day, all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails he that gathered least, in other words, the smallest portion was ton homers and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. So it's finally like, food, oh, give me as much as I can, give me as much as I can. That's what the flesh does. The flesh can't just eat a piece of cake. The flesh can't eat just a piece of pie when it's on a diet. It has to eat the whole thing. It's this Groveling. it's just, oh, I can't get it enough. It's just gotta feed it, it's just gotta feed it. Now here's what comes powerful, verse thirty-three. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people. The Lord smote the people with a very great plague, and he called the name of that place Kibroth Hate because there they lay buried the people that lusted, and literally that word means grave of lust you say okay what's this talking about what in the world just happened the people were not content in their mind with what god had given to them the old nature wants to take that which is of the flesh looking at the world what the world has to give thinking it feels and tastes better And what God is saying to you and I, what we have to learn from them is this. When you go into indulging to the flesh, you cannot be satisfied. That's why God says, while the meat, literally, they were still chewing on it. And by the way, this had gone on for a month. Psalm... Let me, Let me. I don't have time to get into it. Psalm 78 verse 30 is your cross-reference. He adds a phrase to this. And what that phrase to, while well, it was yet between their teeth, the phrase is, before they satisfied their cravings, they have been eating and eating and eating and just chewing. And it's just like pigs in God's eyes. It's like you can't be satisfied. Gotta have more, gotta have more. God says, while it's still there in your teeth, you're gonna be destroyed. Showing that your craves from the old man literally will never be satisfied. The only thing it will do is bring destruction. But the Spirit of God is trying to say, but God's gonna give you a fullness why is it that bank robbers rob banks and after they have achieved robbery they go for more why is it that you know this is this I'm just talking as adults here today why is it the guy that has to have an affair has to go after another and another one and another one and no one ever satisfies It's because this ravening and God says that that's what destroys. God is trying to teach you and I, there is a contentment when we do it God's way. A manna that is pictured in the Lord Jesus Christ that satisfies. All my life long I have panted. Remember that song? For something, just something that's going to... And then finally, I found Jesus. And he satisfied he takes care of. He quenches. That's what he said to the woman. You know, she's, she's just laying with man after man after man. And uh, he says, uh, get me some water. And she goes, you know, what are you doing talking to me? And, and finally he just shows her, listen, if you get, take the water that I, I'm going to give you, you'll never thirst again. Contentment. That's what God is trying to give you and I. If we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill those wrong desires, selfish desires of the flesh. Let's pray.